Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I uh, have, last couple days, been struggling with a little bit of a voice issue. I don't know. So y'all just pray for me. Hopefully it'll stick around for a little bit so I can just give you what the Lord has laid on my heart this morning. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read some verses there, and I want to speak to you about something in this passage, in sec- well, in, in First and 2 Timothy both, the Apostle Paul is writing to his, as he called him, own son in the faith, Timothy, a young man who has become a pastor, and he is, he is giving Timothy, if you will, really advice and guidance and understanding about what it means to be a pastor through the the epistles to Timothy, and he speaks to him about uh, a lot of the things he's going to face in the ministry. Amen. It's a lot about the things that will arise in ministry, the things you need to be doing in ministry, the things that you need to watch out for in ministry. Uh, And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he gives him, um, if you will, a bit of a prophetic passage as he begins to speak to Timothy concerning the last days. We know the last days essentially to be those days uh, approaching the end of days. Amen. The last days, if you will, before the rapture uh, leading up to the beginning of the judgment of God. Amen. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, he says this. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of, them, of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful, God, to be in your house. God, thankful, Lord, to be in church today on the Lord's Day. We're thankful, Lord, for your son. Thank you, Lord, for those who've come out, Lord, to be here in the service today. And I pray, God, that every man, woman, and child that is here would receive exactly what you would like for them to receive in the service this morning. God, I pray uh, that everything that is done from this point forward and everything that's done up to this point has been pleasing to you and will be pleasing to you. God, it is our desire today that you would be glorified. God, that you'd receive honor, that you'd be lifted up. God, that you would be pleased with how we go about this service this morning. God, I pray now, if you would, please help me to preach, God. Help me in my body and help me in my spirit 
to preach this message as you have laid it on my heart today, God, in a way that will be helpful, God. My desire this morning, God, is to help these people with the Word of God. Lord, this perfect and pure and true Word that we have in our hands today, God, is the most precious commodity, the most valuable thing on the earth. And God, we've got it right here, and I pray, Lord, help us, God, not to dismiss it. Help us, God, Lord, not to ignore it. Help us, God, Lord, not to pass these next few minutes as though we're just waiting for the bell to go off in a class, but God, that we would take some time, Lord, to consider what it is that you want to say to our hearts today. Help us, God, to grow closer to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul speaks here concerning uh, the last days, and he begins to name off numerous things. He says, in the last days, you need to understand that some perilous times are coming. And perilous means filled with peril. Peril, we know, is danger. Amen. It's perilous. It's dangerous. Something, uh, there is a great threat that is looming over these days, these perilous times. And then he begins to go on and, and to break that down, and, and, and we'll look at these verses somewhat individually, but uh, he is telling him there's a day coming when you're going to see a change in people. Amen. That's what he's describing. If you read here in these verses, he's describing people. Can you see that? Uh, he's not, he doesn't talk about the, uh, any, any sort of like weather changes or anything like that in this passage. Or He doesn't talk about some strange signs in the sky. He talks about the greatest sign. He's telling Timothy in this time of the last days will be people. People are going to start showing some things in ways that maybe you've never seen before. And can I tell you, I think we're living in those days right now. The change in our culture, just in our country, and we could talk about the world too, but people have changed so drastically and so quickly over the last decade that it is unprecedented. Uh, I graduated high school in 2005. So it's been a little while since then, but not that long really in the great scheme of things. And things have changed so drastically just in those, what, 15, 17 or so years since I graduated high school that it's baffling. If you were to go and spend a day as a substitute teacher in schools and see the way that things have changed, the things that are now commonplace and normal and acceptable that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and for some of you 30, maybe 40 years ago when you were in school and you were around that age, the way that things were then and the things, way that things are now, the change is so drastic that it's shocking. I'd go as far as to say even six, five, six years ago, things have changed. And the way they have changed can be seen in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. You can see these things increasing drastically. Amen. We're living in the last days. There are numerous passages we could turn to and observe concerning these last days. But this morning, I want to look here at this because the truth is, while we will see and are already seeing these things come to pass in the world, what is much more perilous to me and much more frightening to me is when we begin to see these things increase in the church. The world is going to get itself ready to accept the man of sin. 
the world is going to prepare itself for the judgment that God has outlined for it. That's the way the world is going to do. Amen? Spiritual wickedness in high places has always been our enemy. If you read the Bible, it tells us so, that we're warring against spiritual wickedness in high places. And those wicked spirits in high places are doing everything they can to prepare the United States of America and every every country in the world to be ready to receive the man of sin. That's happening right now. But in our churches, it ought not be so. Amongst God's people who are saved, who are Christians, who have the Holy Spirit, it ought not be so. We ought not become like these described in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We ought to be the exception to the rule. We ought to be the light that shines in darkness. We ought to be the example of Christ amongst a world that is overwhelmed with wickedness. Amen. Paul said this, he said, You were sometimes darkness, but now we are children of light. And that's the way it's meant to be concerning God's people. If we've been saved, we ought not read ourselves in these verses. Amen. Amen. That is just simply a truth. Let me give you, uh, this morning I want to talk about a topic that is so popular uh, in the world today that it is becoming... Uh, the number one thing in many circles, and that is loving yourself. Amen. Uh, There are classes you can take now learning how to love yourself. There are books you can read all about learning how to love yourself. And what is hilarious to me is many of those folks who would propagate the vital importance of loving yourself have never read 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if they did, they would find that the first sign of the last days is that men shall be lovers of their own selves. It's just funny, isn't it? How they proclaim that God is not real and the Bible is a lie while the Bible predicts their every move. It's foolish. It's blind. But that's exactly what it is. And here I want to show you first a caution about self in these verses. First, we see a timing of danger. There's a timing of danger here, and we know that time is the last days, those, da- those days before the rapture, those days preceding the judgment of God, that peril that is facing the earth, and that word peril means dangerous, hazardous, full of risks, such as a perilous undertaking, a perilous situation, that we are entering into a dangerous time. When he says perilous times, he's saying we're enter- entering into an era of danger, a time of danger, amen. And many would look back at times throughout our history that have been dangerous, amen, such as going into the great wars, World War I, World War II, other wars, you know, the, the Cold War, even though in, in the end it really didn't amount to all that much in terms of an actual war, it was considered a very dangerous time, amen, that could have been disastrous. But this is a different sort of danger. It's a spiritual danger. It is a lack of God, amen. It is a, it is a waning of spirituality in the proper sense of the word from the word of God that has brought danger to the world right before God is going to send the world into judgment. Amen. It is a dangerous path that the world is going down. And we're seeing that today as these perilous times have come and this timing of the danger. But then we see the trouble is detailed in verses 2 down through verse number 7. And I'm not going to take a lot of time this morning to talk about all these things. But he goes down through it. He starts naming them off just one after another. Men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, 
blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So many of these are, are, are on the increase today. Covetousness, people want more, 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 and cannot be satisfied. Amen. They want more drugs. They want more alcohol. They want more things. Amen. Better clothes, better car, better house, better job, more money, more, more, more. I need more, right? Never satisfied. They're covetous, and they're looking everywhere for the next thing that will satisfy this lusting desire inside of them to have a fulfillment that they'll never find because what they need is the Lord. Amen. And we're seeing an increase. Can you say we're seeing an increase in that today? Our culture now is I want it, and I want it now. Amen. That's the way that it is. Boasters, my goodness. People are more uh, boastful now than they've ever been. Have you been ever on a social media website? It's unreal. It is unreal. Even amongst Christians, the amount of boasting that goes on. It's, it's the equivalent of my dad can beat up your dad. And it's on every Twitter, Facebook, and social media platform that there is. And it's me against you and me pitting myself. And I'm better than you. And my people are better than your people. And my ways are better than your ways. And oh, look how, uh, look how progressive I am in my ideals. And, and pe- there's headlines and posts and everything being put on the internet. And it's all for the sake of patting themselves on the back, boasting. I mean, we're seeing it on the increase. Proud, my goodness. Pride, the first sin of Satan. We see it all the way. It is the root of many, many sins. And people are quitting church. People are breaking up their homes. People are quitting their jobs and throwing their lives away all over pride, over feelings and emotions and pride and and about me, me, right? Are you seeing a theme here? Covetousness, it's about me. Pride, it's about me. Boasting, it's about me. Blaspheming, it's about me. It's me saying God is not God and I'm just as good as God and I don't need God. God's name is used more cavalier today than it ever has been. It's become a substitute for a curse word, even in the mouths of Christians. Let me advise you. We, you know, and we all slip into that in culture and we, we adopt words and different things. Let me give you some advice. The name of Jesus Christ is such a powerful name that the Bible says there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. By what name? Not God, Jesus Christ. So to use the name Jesus Christ in a cavalier way is blasphemous. Let's not do that. Let's never substitute a swear word with the name of our Savior. Amen. Now, you say, well, I, you know, are, you, are you fussing at me? Are you coming down at me? No, I, I don't know if you've ever done that. I'm just giving you some advice. It's a bad idea. God cares a lot about His Son. And we should care a lot about his son, and that includes his name, amen? And that's what we're going to see an increase of. And by the way, we're seeing an increase of it. Recently, in the last couple of years, there was a church, I can't remember the country, it was some European country, uh, one of the, I can't remember, maybe it was in um, Switzerland, I'm not sure off the top of my head, I could look it up. They released a promotional uh, uh, screen that they had put out for an ad promoting their church, and it was a everybody come the way that you are sort of thing. Come as you are, God loves you as you are. And it had the rainbow and, and it representing the, uh, the, the transgender and LGBTQ plus movement. And it had an image that they had had created. And it was a likeness of Jesus Christ, as you would typically see him with the beard and the hair. Except he was a woman from the neck down. And he was uh, obviously very effeminate. And they were portraying him as if he may, if you want to see Jesus as a transgender, then you see Jesus as that because he's whatever you want him to be. That 
is blasphemous. That's blasphemy. It's, and that was a church. That is unabashed blasphemy. It's the sort of thing that we would not have seen. We're seeing an in, can you Can you see an increase in blasphemy? Turn on any comedy television show. You'll see an increase in blasphemy. Won't you? It ought not be so in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Disobedient to parents. I think we can all agree that one of the worst attacks that the devil has ever had and the most effective attacks the devil has ever had in our country is the breakdown of the home. Amen. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, mothers killing their children before they have a chance to take their first breath. read a story recently about a woman who dropped her child off in a trash can in an airport after having just given birth to it. They found the woman, and she's being prosecuted. Natural affection. There is no more natural affection than that of a mother to her child. We're seeing a sinful world that is losing natural affection. We also see that in the move toward the perversion of marriage that is trying to be propagated by the world, that people are without natural affection. That's what the Bible says, natural affection. Truce breakers, people can no longer be held to their word because whatever serves them best is what is best. Amen. I'm describing the world. Y'all know the world this way? You know the world that it's a man-eat-man world out there, they say. Oh, it's just business. Everything's fair in business. Well, not according to the word of God. According to the word of God, if you, it's better to, to never make a vow than to make a vow and break it. That's what the Bible says. And that doesn't apply just to you and me, but to the whole world. Amen. The lie is still a lie. The truce is a truce, and truce breakers and those who make agreements and come together and break those agreements are liars, and we're seeing an increase of it all across the world. It's just a, a natural progression of the way that things are going. False accusers, liars, incontinent. That means they have no self-control. Have you ever seen such a world with no self-control? Do as you please, and don't let anybody tell you that you can't. Live your truth. That is incontinency. Amen. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. The world loves pleasure more than God, but the church ought not ever love pleasure more than God. Amen. Can we all agree with that? Amen. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Very simply, Paul is telling him that in the last days, if you will just take a moment and look at all these things, you know what you'll find? That in every single one of these, they're coming back to one thing. Me. Why shouldn't I break a vow if I want to? Why shouldn't I have that if I want it? I'm better. I'm, I'm wonderful. I'm perfect the way I am. God made me this way, and so any desire that I have must be godly. I love myself. I give myself what I want. I do as I want. I say what I want. And if I don't like where I am, then I want to change that. It's my right to do that. If I decide I don't like my wife anymore, I should be able to get a new one if I want. Amen. If I don't want to be a parent, I don't have to be a parent. No, no, no responsibility can be placed upon me that I don't want for myself. That is the last day's mentality. Me. 
Man is his own God. And self is every man's God. Self. Me. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Do you see that? Paul gives some tough directions in verse 5. He tells, them, he tells Timothy this. He says, if you see them like this, turn away. Don't mingle. Don't mix in. Turn away. That's what he tells him. Don't, don't mix. You don't want to be in that crowd that's all about them. And it's all about self-promotion and self-love and self-exaltation. You want to be in that crowd that is like John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. He gives a trouble, and the troubling discovery here in this passage is very simply this. All of these come back to verse number two. Men shall be lovers of them own selves. They love pleasures more than God because it pleases them. And they love themselves. They're fierce and angry and, and violent because they think they're right and everybody else is wrong. They have incontinency because they don't think they should ever have to do anything they don't want to do. And they should be allowed to do anything they want to do when they want to do it. That's why there's an increase in alcohol, an increase in drugs, an increase in sexual immorality, because men love themselves. Amen. What a frightening thing. John Phillips very succinctly said this about the last days. He said, in the last days, love of self will be unbridled. It'll be let loose. Did you know that men have always loved themselves? You ever got around some little kids, one of them's got a toy, another one wants that toy, and the word comes out, mine. You ever heard that? It's mine. I want it. I was playing with it. That's mine. It should be mine. That's because in every man's a seed of sin, and sin tells man, me, 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 me. But even in our culture, over the years, there has been at least some sense of self-responsibility. We can see it in law, right? There's been some sense of, of bridling one's most innermost, deepest, and darkest desires. There were things you shouldn't say, you couldn't say. It used to be that if a teacher showed some sort of immorality in a public place, such as drinking publicly, they would lose their job. And the reason for that was because uh, there were laws and rules in place that a teacher was meant to be a moral person, a person that could be a, uh, a um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Being example is a good word for it. A role model, that was the word. And there were literally, literally they come into work. When I was in college learning to be a teacher at one time, I had a class all about those things. And we read cases of teachers that lost their jobs and their licenses over the simplest of things. And the reason was because it made them a public shame. And they lost their jobs. And you say, well, that's not right or that is right or whatever. You can think what you want about that. But the fact of the matter is very simply this. Even in our culture, there used to be a semblance of self-control, of morality. But now, now they have rallies in the street and they march and they do things that are so ungodly that we won't even speak of them in our homes and it's filmed and publicized on public television. And our country claps. These are the last days. We're living in the last days. That's what's going on out there. But in here, in here is different. The love of self has become prioritized to the world to the fact that now 
psychologists dedicate their entire careers to developing the importance of self-love. Self-love is defined as a regard for one's own happiness or advantage and has been conceptualized both as basic human necessity and as a moral flaw by those of us who would believe the Word of God. However, throughout the centuries, self-love has adopted a more positive connotation through pride parades, self-respect movement, self-love protests, the hippie era, the modern feminist movement, third and fourth wave, as well as the increase in mental health awareness that promotes self-love as intrinsic to self-help and support groups working to prevent substance abuse and suicide. This is a quote uh, from a prominent psychological website or a website on psychology concerning self-love, that it is now produced in a positive connotation by the world in spite of the fact that some religious groups would color it as a moral flaw. What I desire to give you this morning is a very simple truth. The Bible is right and the world is wrong. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? How can we stand for things like salvation, heaven, hell, and reject the truth of 2 Timothy chapter 3? We can't. We believe the word or we do not believe the word. And what, here, here, let me give you this simple statement. An out-of-balance self-love leads to an out-of-control sin. Let me say it again. Out-of-balance self-love leads to out-of-control sin. Excuse me, that was really loud. That's the reason that we have all these things washing across the world today because of an out-of-balance self-love. So what do you mean about out-of-balance? I'm going to submit to you that you should love yourself to an extent. We've spoken about this passage here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as a caution about self that Paul's telling him, in the last days, men shall become lovers of their own selves to the point that anything goes. And he begins to tell them how bad that's going to be. But in Mark chapter 12, the Lord Jesus speaks concerning love, and he gives a very simple truth, and we've talked about it in this church. I've preached on it, and we're going to look at it again here. I want to show you something maybe you hadn't thought about here. In Mark chapter 12 and verse Number 28, the Bible says, One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, Namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now we see in this passage, first, a reverential love is mentioned in verse number uh, 29 and verse number 30 where the Lord Jesus says that the absolute most important first and number one commandment out of the law and out of the word of God, the number one thing that every man and woman and child on the earth needs to know is this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Amen. And you shouldn't just love Him, but you should love Him with a worshiping love, with a whole love that is all-consuming. Amen. He very simply says this, that you're to love Him with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Amen. With your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Say, well, what does He mean when He says that? Everything in you needs to love God. 
Amen. You ought to completely, wholly, and utterly love the Lord God more than anything else to the point that He is the most important thing in your life. The moment that a worldly relationship becomes more important than God, you have slipped into sin. Amen. The moment that your job becomes more important than God, you slipped into sin. Why? Because you have failed the first commandment. How can you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and might when He's not even the most important thing in your life? That's not all. That's some, but not all. And Jesus very simply said the commandment is love Him with all your heart. Amen. All your mind, all your soul, all your might. That you love God. That He is, he is the most important thing in your life. Amen. That if you were to lose everything else, if you just had God, that you would make it just as Job did. That's what it means to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, might, and mind, and strength. That you love Him completely and wholly. Amen. That is a reverential love that we looking up at our God, that we reverence and honor and love Him as our God and our Creator, that He is the most wonderful thing, and He is wondrous, and He is marvelous. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Amen. And some of you, as I'm saying this, I wonder, do you? Amen. It's a simple question, isn't it? Do you love Him wholly, with a whole heart? Do you love God, or is God just a small portion of all the other things you've got going on? Everything in our lives, this is a radical concept, but everything in our lives that we do, say, the relationships we have, the places we go, the, the jobs that we take on, should all pass through the filter of God and our love for God. Amen. That God will guide our paths. But if, when, we, when we guide our own paths and we think of them later, that's not a whole love for God, is it? Then we see a relational love in verse 31. He says, <clears throat> the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And he puts right underneath the love of God, the love for others. John, 1 John 4, 21, And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. In fact, Paul even takes it a step further in Romans chapter 12, verse number 10, where he says this, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. And he says this, In honor preferring one another. He says if you love your brother the way that you're supposed to, you will prefer them over you. I've often given the example of being in the line for the potluck or whatever at church, and there's one more piece of that cake that you love and you really wanted, and that one behind you, oh, man, if you had this cake, it's the best. I, I come to get another piece. Cameron's shaking his head back here. He's like, I ain't giving up that cake. <laughs> Preferring another is saying, oh, yeah, you have it. I'm going to get some of this, when in your heart you're thinking, man, I wanted that cake. So when my daughter asks me for uh, a bite of what I've got, and I've got one bite left, and I think, you knew. I've been saving this bite. When Brooke and I got married and we, we you know, started spending a little more time together because we were married, I discovered a habit of hers that at first I didn't realize was a big issue that later I found out. When she eats potato chips, she saves the best ones for last. You know, you open a bag of Lay's and after you get about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through it, it just crumbles down there. And you're digging around trying to find one, especially if you're like eating dip. You can't dip a chip that big. 
So she gets those big, beautiful chips, and she lay them out. I'm sitting there next to her, and I'm like, oh, I'll reach over and grab one, pop it in my mouth. She goes, just looks at me. What? I was saving that. What do you mean you were saving that? Those are the good ones. I saved the good ones for last. Well, forget, excuse me. I saw a good-looking potato chip, and I ate it. So I had to learn. She had to learn to prefer me when I eat those chips, and she's working on that. Y'all pray for her. But I had to learn. Preferring someone is wanting them to have the good that you would want for yourself. That's what it means to prefer someone. And when Jesus was trying to give a clear example of what it means to love your neighbor, in Mark chapter 12, he said this, love them like you love you. So it is important that we love ourselves to some extent. I have met people who hate themselves. Have you? They hate themselves. They do things to make themselves suffer. They do things to put themselves in a dark place, to hurt themselves. God does not desire that. Men shall be lovers of their own selves very simply means this. They love themselves more than they love God or their neighbor. That's backwards. We're to love God more than anything, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is a resemblant love, that the love we have for others should be equal to or greater than the love we have for ourselves. Equal to in thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and potentially greater than in preferring one another. You see that in the Scripture? We're in the Scripture, aren't we? We're in the Bible. I'm giving you, I'm giving you Scripture. I, the last thing on earth I want you to have this morning is Brother Paul's opinion, because it's worthless. But the Word of God is so valuable. It is, in fact, not just valuable, it is vital to your survival. And when you begin to live your... You know what happens when people begin to live their life exalting their own wants and desires over everything else? Their life goes to pit. It is one moment after another slowly marching toward a point where eventually they find themselves in a place where they don't even want to live anymore. Do you know why? Because they stop loving God and start loving me. 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 And they discover eventually that nothing they give themselves satisfies them. Because the only thing that can satisfy is God. No alcoholic has ever gotten a drink and said, man, that was the one. No drug addict has ever taken a hit and said, finally, I'm satisfied. Never has it happened. The only thing that satisfies is God. And a God that is li- a man that is living for themselves and me, 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 loving myself, give me what I want, do what I want, and go where I want, is a man or a woman who will find themselves one day with nothing. Let me give you a concern about self will be done this morning. I realize this is a heavy topic, and maybe even a little heavier than I thought it was going to be when I got up here this morning. But I feel that the Lord is trying to speak to us. The best litmus test we have for how we should treat others is how we treat ourselves. When, we are, when you are hungry, do you eat? When you're thirsty, do you drink? When you're cold, do you find warmth? When you're hot, do you try to find a cool place? Amen. When we want something, we go out of the way often just to get what we want, don't we? We like to watch what we want to watch and do what we want to do. And, and, when, it, and when it's not sin, it's not wrong to do so. It's not wrong to have a bite to eat when you're hungry. 
or to do something you enjoy that is not sinful. Amen. Those things are not wrong, and they're not, it's not bad to do those things. And just as we would do those things for ourselves when we want, so should we be willing to do for others. Amen. That if we see someone hungry, we should be willing to feed them. Amen. That's what John said. He said, if any man see a need in his brother and shut up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? That's what John said. That we should, we should have in us a desire to help people who need help. Shut out all the media and the political jargon and the trash and read your Bible. You see folk with a need, you help them. Amen. Because that's what it means to love others as you love yourself. Treat them like you'd want to be treated. Amen. The golden rule as we learned in kindergarten, right? Do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you. That Jesus taught us, by the way. And I've also heard it like this. You want to treat that person the way that you would want your children to be treated. Amen. That's what it means to love others the way you love yourself. But I think sometimes, especially in our circles, especially when we talk about the fact that the truth is, if we all got what we deserved, we would, be in, we would get hell. I mean, we have all sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. And we are lowly. Amen. And we are wicked. What is man that thou art mindful of him? It's a fact. Our days are short and full of trouble. That's all true. But I think sometimes because of those words, often Christians think, well, I'm supposed to hate myself. But you're not. You're supposed to love others as you love yourself. And if you hate yourself, then you would hate others. Have you ever met anybody like that? Hated everybody around them because they hated themselves? I have. Miserable people make other people miserable. That's just the way that it is. But Jesus said, love thy neighbor as thyself. So when we think about the concern about ourselves, we've spoken about the caution about self in 2 Timothy 3 and the charge about self in Mark 12, when we think about the concern about self, we need to understand very simply, while the world has it wrong, you're not supposed to hate yourself. We are faulted, but not forgotten. Romans verse five, or chapter 5, verse 8 says this, that God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were yet sinners, when we were still in the mess, God didn't come and get some, some assurances. Now, I need some assurances before I save you that I'm not making a bad investment. There were no questions like that. There were no assurances given to the Lord. There was no double checking and making sure. We were sinners, and there was a God who looked at us and knew exactly what we were, exactly what we had to offer, how valuable we were. He knew how faulty we were. He knew all our weaknesses and our sins and our failures. And by the way, he knew that when he saved us that we would still continue to fail him. And yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know why? Because God knows we're faulty, but he doesn't care. He loves us anyways. And in loving, and in loving us and in saving us, you know what he does? He doesn't forget us, but He does forget our sins. Washes them away. We are faulty. Yes, we make mistakes. You ever make mistakes? You ever mess up and do something you shouldn't do? Something dumb? I have recently. Amen. Probably today. Ask my wife. I'm sure she could tell you if I've done something today. Amen. That's just the truth. We're all faulty. But we've got a God that in spite of our faults loves us. And if our God can love us in spite of our faults, 
then we ought to love ourselves as He loves us. Amen. We are unworthy, but we are not worthless. Man despairs when he begins to see himself as worthless. No good to anybody. No good to myself. And can I tell you, the devil... Are y'all listening to me this morning? I'm almost done. The devil would love nothing more than to convince you you're worthless. I'll be the first one this morning to say I've heard that voice in my head. You ever heard the voice in your head? Your family would be better off without you. Your friends would be better off without you. The church would be better off without you. You're just a dog. The preacher gets up and he talks about the sins. You do those things. You mess up. You're worthless. Why do you even come around anymore? You know who never says things like that? Your Savior. Because to Him, you're not worthless. To Him, in spite of all those things, which by the way, some of those things, the reason they hurt so much is because they have a tinge of truth. I do those things, don't I? I mess up and I, I, I've been guilty. Well, if I've been guilty, maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe I am worthless. You know, what, you know what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8? He said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Paul said this, we're worth something to God because his grace and his purpose. So what does that mean? I am unworthy. Me, I'm unworthy. I've done things before and thought I should just, I should be, I should have my family stripped away from me. You know, you think things in your head. I, I don't deserve a wife after the things I said, or I don't deserve children after the way I treated them, or I don't deserve a job after the way I've done this, or I don't deserve this, and I don't deserve that. I'm just worthless. I don't deserve to be in the ministry. And, I, and I'll tell you right now, I don't. I don't deserve to be a pastor, a preacher. I don't deserve to be saved. I'm unworthy of those things. And I've proved that with my life. But that's not why He saved me. God did not save me because of what I'm worth. God did not save me because I'm some great moral guy. God did not call me because I'm some cut above the rest. He did it in His purpose and His grace. You know why He called me? Because He wanted to. You know why He put me in this position at this church? Because He wanted to. And because He loves me. And because He's not concerned with what I'm capable of. He's concerned with what He's capable of through me. And the same thing is true for you. Every man in here is capable of being the father, the husband, the man, whatever it may be in your life that God has for you. 
because of His purpose and His grace, not because of some quality you have. Well, I have, a, I have a degree in such and such, or I'm particularly good in this. The only thing you've got is what God's given you. He's called you to a purpose, and that purpose is His purpose. That purpose is His grace. You know what grace is? It is unmerited favor. It means it's His goodness when you don't deserve it. He called me in spite of the fact that I don't deserve to be called. He saved me in spite of the fact that I don't deserve to be saved. And so I must love myself as He loves me. And you know how He loves me? In spite of me. He loves me because He's good and He's God and His grace is sufficient. And He uses me because He's good and He's God and His grace is sufficient. So Brother Paul, I understand what you're telling me. Am I supposed to love myself or am I not supposed to love myself? You are. But an out-of-balance self-love leads to out-of-control sin. John the Baptist, he wrapped it up in a short little sentence that should ring in our hearts and our minds daily. He must increase. I must decrease. When John the Baptist said that, Specifically, he was referring to the great plan of God. All these people came from all around the world and all around the nation there to see him, to hear his messages of repent and to be baptized. They said, there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to unlatch. When he comes, I'm going to fade away and he is going to increase. And in my life, you know what I should want? Less of me and more of him. Less for me and more for Him. Amen. Self-love to the world is an absolutely vital and deserved part of every human life that you should love yourself and exalt yourself and honor yourself and, and coddle yourself and give yourself everything it wants and never tell you no and live your truth and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That is an unbridled self-love, and it leads to destruction. The self-love of the Word of God is very simply this. I love myself because God loves me. I love myself because God has saved me, and God can make me whatever He wants to make me. And as I love myself, and I care for myself, and I feed myself, and I, I do the things that I enjoy, so must I love others. And I should never love myself more than other people. When I do... I'm least like Jesus and most like Satan. Satan said, I will ascend. I, me. We need an accurate appraisal of self with a proper perspective toward others. What a dangerous and perilous time we're seeing where men and women love themselves more than anything else. That's why we're seeing an increase in sexual immorality in divorce, in homosexuality, in abortions. We're seeing it because of an increased love of self. But on the other hand, a complete lack of self-love leads to an out-of-balance love for others as well. We must love our neighbor as ourselves, and we must love ourselves enough to be of use to a God who has called us according to His purpose.
Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.